Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk to the people who create these games, and to talk about big industry events that are changing the gaming world. Now, we have mentioned the classic era of Games Workshop specialist games uh, in passing a couple of times over the last six months on different episodes. And uh, it... I have very fond memories of many of these games uh, in a big, fat way. And we are seeing a, a renaissance of these games on top of that. Um, I'm not the only one. There are lots of people who are really excited about some of these games. Now, some of that came from COVID, where everyone was sitting around and thinking back fondly to games of the past. Um, we've seen massive spikes in Warhammer Fantasy Battle Sixth Ed communities. We've seen massive spikes in Old Hammer community groups. There's been a giant jump in Warhammer 40K Second Ed players um, with giant painting, not competitions, but challenges that get people to build up armies of old using old models and old painting techniques. Uh, there's even people playing my favorite edition of Third Ed 40K. But that doesn't quite get into the love of specialist game communities. I mean, Blood Bowl was a game that went forever after it quote unquote died and stopped being supported by Games Workshop, where there were hundreds upon hundreds of people in events regularly held in Europe that people would come to play, even though it was quote unquote a dead game. Unbelievable third party model support, rule support. And then so much so, the Games Workshop picked it back up and brought it back out. Talking to me about one of those games and those games in general is a man who loves Mordheim more than anyone I know, the man behind the Broheim site, Tori. Welcome to Cast Dice. Thanks for having me, Brad. Man, it is a pleasure. Um, now, you and I started talking ages ago when you were making resources from classic Warhammer Quest available for people who were looking at it during 2020. And thanks to you, I have my old Warhammer Quest materials, character cards, even map boards available to me to play again, and I really need to do that. But what is it about specialist games in particular that make you so passionate? Yeah, and I think, you know, on your on a previous podcast, you kind of touched base on the specialist games sphere in general, but um, really those games just have such a special place in people's hearts, I feel like. You know, so many people came from the... And while 40K and Warhammer Fantasy were really good games in their own right, the specialist games were, were different enough and set in a setting that people really loved. And the mechanics were really good, and I, I would kind of say, like, timeless in a lot of ways. Um, that they just held up incredibly well and the communities have really stuck with them over the years and created a lot of uh, fan-made content, you know, for 
for Mordheim specifically, there's the creator of the game is really active in the community. So there's the magic has not been lost in the past 20 or so years. It's really just grown more and more. Um, but I think that, you know, that's just something really exciting to be part of. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's define what we mean by specialist games, because I have spoken to a few people recently who are new to gaming in the last new to gaming air quotes in the last 10 years who don't necessarily know what we're talking about. Specialist games were a series of games. The games workshop put out about one every other year or one a year through the late 80s, 90s, and early O's. Um, many times they were just remaking some of the old ones. There were multiple versions of Necromunda, for example. So we're talking about games that were not the flagship games. So we're not talking Warhammer Fantasy. We're not talking Warhammer 40K. Um, we're not talking Lord of the Rings, which became a flagship game for Games Workshop later. We're talking about the games that were adjacent to those games. It was seen that... It was important to have a core game release every now and then, and you would rotate them between Warhammer 40K, Fantasy, and eventually Lord of the Rings. So there was this, this ongoing rotation of new additions every couple of years, but to slow down that rotation and to give people games to play that were slightly different, often with the much smaller model count, so they're easier to pick up and play, but still wouldn't replace the big games you would have these games like Blood Bowl. You would have games like Necromunda, Mordheim, you know, skirmish size almost. Now, Warmaster, of course, was a game like that, but it was a full army game, but they were much smaller armies, both physically and uh, model-wise. So they were easier to pick up. It's interesting, though, that the games that were seen as throwaway games by Games Workshop are often the ones that are so beloved that they have been they've been kept up by the community. Um, do you have any thoughts as to why that might be? Well, there, there's two things I think that are important to you know stick out. And the first one is that the specialist games, you know, they weren't written by a B team. They were written by the same people that were writing the big games, like Rick Priestley and Alessio Cavatori, blah blah blah, all those greats. Um, so that's really great. I mean, and not only that, but these are the games that they wanted to make, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how excited you could be writing yet another edition of Warhammer Fantasy year after year. You know, more power to them. Like, the later editions were good, and, you know, give or take. Some people were bigger fans of older ones or newer ones. But Gorka Morka, for example, was a game they wanted to make. Someone watched Mad Max, and they were like, hell yeah, I really want to make Mad Max with Orcs. Um, mm -hmm. so they just put a lot of love and spirit into it. I mean, you're right. Rick has said that War Master is one of the it was what is one of the games he's enjoyed making most over the years. He loves yeah. the mechanics, and it was his reaction to what he had done with Warhammer, and he was trying to make a, a not not the same game, not a better game but a game that stood on its own legs in that universe that was a different game. And he's, he's really happy with how that one came out to the point where he took it, those rules with him when he left and they have evolved and turned into Warlord Games Black Powder Range. So as we see, these games definitely have legs. I mean, as we've seen recently, Games Workshop has pulled 
Blood Bowl back in a gigantic way. And I mean, it's always been big. It has grown up over time, but now it has just gotten even bigger. They brought back Necromunda and they've just expanded those universes uh, and the way the games are played, the miniatures. As someone who loves Mordheim, we've seen the, the, the new editions of Warhammer Quest. We've seen the the Necromundas. We've seen the Blood Bowls. Are you wondering or hoping that that will happen with Mordheim? So you're kind of putting me on the spot because this is a very, very polarizing topic. Yeah, um, I was going to say, sorry. Yeah. We can um, skip that question if you really want. No, I think I don't think um, it's any mystery that a lot of people know I am not a fan of a Mordheim remake. Um. I think the big the big thought is that oh you know well the game well currently the game is free I think that's important to to point out too but um, I think a lot of people were excited for a new model range you know some I guess people look at the older rules and they say oh it's super antiquated it's not you know without even trying it they're like oh well the game's twenty five years old it's probably not as good as it could be um, I think it's a nearly perfect game so I don't necessarily need a new version. Um, so that's kind of where I stand on it now. Yeah. But there's people in my gaming group that feel the opposite of I do. They're like, I would love to see what they do with it now. I am of two minds to me, flipping through the Mordheim book, looking at the very distinctive art in that book and across the expansions, it feels like a time and a place for me having that miniature range was in my opinion almost perfect i cannot divorce those notions for me more so than any other games workshop game from mordheim um that that it it is a game where the miniatures and the art almost marry up well with the game itself i mean so many times when you think warhammer fantasy um, or classic Warhammer 40K, you think of, you know, green, lovely bases and you see bright colors on everything. And then you read the lore and it's dark and you go, these things definitely don't match. Uh, but with Mordheim, it was, the, I think, the very first Games Workshop game where, in my mind, it was the perfect amalgamation of everything, the lore, the rules, the the art everything felt right. Like it felt like it matched together in a way that nothing else had previously. And it wasn't until I saw that and went, wow. So the idea of having that updated would be really cool, but it would change my mind of what Mordheim is, if that makes sense. And part of, yeah, part of me is the old grognard that says, don't change that, that game. Because I happen to think it's also a great game system. Um, all right. What was your first experience with Mordheim and why are you so passionate about it today? So I played Mordheim for the first time, probably in the early two thousands. And I honestly, at the time, I probably wasn't old enough to truly appreciate it. Um, and eventually I ended up playing 40 K again. I think it was probably third edition at the time, but a couple of years ago around 2015, there was an old Mordheim site called Mordheimer. 
um, which has kind of been remade in some essence. But essentially, it was a place online where the rules were being hosted, and there was tactics and um, like warband rules, basically a one-stop shop. And that site was had gone down. And as far as I know, it was kind of the only site for Mordheim material. Um, so it was down for a few years, honestly. I think it might have gone down in, in 2013. And I had posted on forums like, hey, is anybody going to pick up the, the cup to kind of put this stuff online? And everyone was like, oh, well, you know, you should do it. <laughs> so it kind of as a side project, it's like, okay, well, you know, I know basic HTML. Maybe I'll just throw something together in a weekend. Um, and it kind of kicked off from there. And once I got the site Broheim running, um, which if you're not familiar, is basically like an index for Mordheim material in the same way as the rules, a bunch of fan-made supplements, kind of a one-stop shop. Um, as soon as that got up, you know, a bunch of people got on board with me and they're like, hey, I want to help. Um, here's a bunch of stuff that I have saved on my computer. Here's a bunch of stuff in the Wayback Time Machine from 2004. So it was kind of a treasure hunt through the ages of getting everything updated. But now the site is super duper extensive and like, I, I definitely have a new an even more newfound love of Mordheim working with all these different people. You know, Tomas, the creators, reached out to me on many occasions and like offered me kind words of encouragement. Um, so now, you know, I, I love everything about the game. We play it really, really, really commonly, maybe a couple times a year if they have big campaign days. Mm -hmm. um, but really just like for me, running the website is a whole game of its own in some ways where it's really fun to see what people have created and doing that internet treasure hunting um, of when this stuff existed online from the early 2000s to 2008, more or less. Mm -hmm. Now it's interesting because I've heard some people talking recently of you know re reprinting things that are that you know from the Games Workshop era or you know it's it's copyright you shouldn't be doing that. This is a long dead gone game, according to Games Workshop. And there are giant air quotes there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but the author, Mr. Piernan, has been actively supporting people like you going on different forums, going on Facebook groups, answering rules questions, engaging with the community. He's been on podcasts talking about Mordheim's you know, origins, about its evolution over time. And that means up to today. You're not going to get a cease and desist from Games Workshop. This is something that, you know, the community has driven forward. This is a love of the game and really is a, a rallying point for the community, much like the War Master Revolution guys. Yeah. And I, I feel extra safe with more time now because they actually released the rules for free on the Games Workshop website in 2005, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, so I they couldn't really be more clear of like... Just yeah. take the rules. They're out there. So I'm not really too worried. But the War Master Revolution guys really, really took an extra step. Like, I have so much, you know, I don't know what the word is, but they really just crushed it. Like, they did all their own artwork. They completely redid their rulebook from the ground up. Mm -hmm. It was super duper impressive. Like, what a massive effort. And in the same time, we're communicating with Rick, um, wanting to make sure they were doing it right and making sure they were honoring the legacy of where it came from and making sure that it's a, it's a living game system that moves forward so much so that I may have just got a new vampire counts army. So nice. That's awesome. We've been playing a, a little bit of war master. Yeah. Ever since the new revolution book dropped mm -hmm. um, our club mates are like, all right, 
it's time. It's time to get into it. And it's been so much fun. It's such a great game. Well, let's, I want to talk about Warmaster, but that may be a whole separate episode. Let's talk about Mordhan. You will be much better at explaining this than I, because I haven't played Mordheim in an embarrassing amount of time. And I might explain why that is in a minute, but Mordheim was a secondary game. It's set in the Warhammer universe. It's set in a very particular time and place in the Warhammer fantasy world, the old world, where a comet hit the city of Mordheim and destroyed it. But in the comet was Warpstone. It was the thing that Skaven are all about. Uh, and so you have all of these people coming to loot the city and specifically looking for shards of warpstone that they can then sell off or collect for their own nefarious purposes. It's a game where no one's really a good guy and everyone's kind of shady and no one's particularly heroic, but they're also, because they're all sort of treasure hunters game-wise, you don't have, unlike some games, particularly early games, workshop games, where you have like one heroic character who will walk through everything else with all the special abilities. In this game, everyone's kind of terrible. Like they're, they're, everyone's hitting on fives and sixes. Everyone has one wound. There isn't that one character that's going to destroy everyone. And yes, over time, you can level up a little bit. But even then, everyone's kind of emaciated. Everyone's kind of starving. Everyone's kind of covered in mud and poop. It's just bad. Uh, am I getting this right? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good pretty good example of, of what the game is. And so you really do get to know your characters, um, and but you you really can't get too invested in them because man, death happens fast. Um, but the bottle at the I think the bottling rules for that game I think that was the name of the rule that I might be getting confused with Necromunda, but the if you lose a quarter of your models from memory, you have to take a leadership test. And so, but you can also flee voluntarily at the beginning of your turn. So in a league, you might start playing, have a game go horribly wrong and say, you know what? I don't want to lose my pants. Forget it. I'm out. Um, and that might give your opponent the scenario, but it might mean that you are okay going forward in a series of games. And this is a game where you do want to play a series of linked games with the same models and have them go up over time. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I, I certainly, Mordheim is definitely, definitely best played campaign style without a doubt. Um, and you're right, the, you do do, you know, leadership-esque checks when you lose a quarter of your warband in the game. So it, it is kind of nice, you know, if you're doing a campaign and you, go to your buddy and you say, how your how's your campaign going? And he goes, well, I'm zero and eight, but I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've lost every game, but my warband is still killing it. Um, and those, you know, those interactions are really funny. And it, yeah. it feels kind of good that you can lose, but you still feel like you win. You know, you're still leveling up your heroes, your henchmen, your warband still has a story, you know, even if they're losing terribly, mm -hmm. it's still good fun for everyone. I was watching a Blood Bowl game at Axis and Ales a couple of weeks ago where literally one team, every single model was laying on the turf and the casualty box was overfilling with that person's models. That wouldn't happen with Mordheim, not easily anyway, because people would have bottled out 
and gone to the next scenario. I really like that. Also, if you get knocked down or knocked out or that what happens to your characters after a game of more time is really fascinating. You can get captured by the enemy band and you can get ransomed back. You can end up in a pit fighter pit, you know, in a slave pit. You can end up you know, dead or maimed with all sorts of wacky injuries that have effects on the game or not just could be cosmetic. It's interesting. It it gave me, at the time, really strong flavors for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, the uh, the original edition that I played at the end of high school quite a lot of, in that it was like a a 6D6 chart. So there were lots of different things that could happen. And it definitely felt old world. I felt like I had a rat catcher again and I was trying to survive long enough to become something that wasn't just someone who lived in the filth. Talk to us a little bit about the progression system and how characters evolve over time in this between games, both in a good and a bad way. Sure, yeah. So as the games go on, basically your guys are getting experience points for more or less surviving surviving battles or depending on the scenario they'll do specific things to give them experience um obviously if they get taken out of action you're rolling on serious injury tables and those can be really fun um and as they level up you're you're essentially just for people who are familiar with the warhammer fantasy stat line you have you know ballistic skill weapon skill strength toughness yada 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 um you're upping those stats but then there's a whole other portion of it which are skills and skills are kind of more or less like game breaking uh mechanics where you can give your guys uh more like a feel no pain type of five up and vulnerable save kind of deal there's just a lot of really cool stuff you can do you can triple move when you sprint um the skill list is really really extensive so there's a lot of options there um and yeah like you said maiming maiming is a big thing people getting their arms chopped off or they can only use one-handed weapon that's really where the game shines is there there's so much so much theme behind it mm-hmm. you know one thing that comes to mind um in our last campaign day one of my buddies was running an undead war band and he was fighting against my other buddy who was running bretonians and he had a questing night that the undead killed and then the undead raised that Bretonian knight as an undead servant. So he took his model and he named him Dark Jeffrey. And he t- he had him for the rest of the day in his undead nice. warband for the next four or five games. And he was just killing it. Dark Jeffrey was like a legend. Um, so those types of mechanics are really, really fun. Um, and but after you know, after a dozen or so games, your your warband is stacked, but of course everyone else's warbands are are mm-hmm. stacked, and it's just like a total bloodbath. By the end of yeah. the campaign, everyone's swinging super hard. Um, but it's really satisfying to get to that point in a campaign. Yeah. And it it is nice because there is that progression. You get to know your characters really well. And so even though they have one wound, even though they might, you know, die horribly on the next die roll, you know, you get really invested with them. And it is literally, as I said before, like, like light role playing. Um, you know, characters start to have personality either because of the equipment or the skills that they have. And so they do particular things on the tabletop because, you know, as a player, you want to lean into the things that they do well. All of a sudden, 
the character that you use to sneak around back is uh, himself or herself gets ambushed and then you, you get real sad. And you go, oh, <laughs> it didn't work out. You know, it's funny you mentioned Warhammer Fantasy roleplay because Broheim, or sorry, not Broheim, Wartheim is really a game that pulls in a lot of RPG players. There's a mm-hmm. lot of crossover. You know, our club specifically has brought in a ton of, this has been their first war game. Like they're coming from the RPG space. And actually a lot of the people that write supplemental material for Mordheim are coming from the Warhammer Fantasy space, or sorry, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay space. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the rules they bring over are from Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Um, so that's really interesting to see, like a, a really vast majority of people like um there's a supplement called mutiny in marienburg which is a whole marienburg supplement and mm-hmm. i think i don't know if there was a supplement for warhammer fantasy roleplay that was specifically that but i know a ton of the mechanics and the lore came from warhammer fantasy was it something rotten in marienburg uh, please don't forgive me folks if i got that wrong it's been like 25 years since i've read the warhammer fantasy expansions but yeah there was something there's oh at me friends somebody tell me what i'm getting wrong here because (laughs) i yeah i could i should look this up i guess i have to ask if people are bringing it over is there now a rat catcher in uh mordhub oh yeah i mean anything in warhammer fantasy at this point someone has ported over somewhere and then some it's (laughs) it's nuts yeah Well, before we get into alternate settings, this game was intended and originally written to take place in a ruined city. As we said, one that's been hit by a comet. And that in and of itself really set a lot of the tone for the game. Um, Because as someone whose only wargaming experience prior to that, I mean, I'd played cardboard games like classic Battletech, Car Wars, things like that. But I'd played Warhammer 40,000 in the early days and Warhammer Fantasy. And the tables, if you compare them to what we expect now, I think the adjective I would use is sparse. Mordheim, though, was a dense tabletop. You had ruined buildings. You have planks running between them at different levels. Um, We have complete buildings. There's you know, docks, there's wells, there's carts, you name it. But the table had more densely packed, scattered terrain, terrain than any other game I'd played previous to that. And that includes Necromunda. And it really did set the scene for the game and gave really, I mean, it really did give the game, as far as gameplay on the tabletop, a certain flavor. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because it is such an integral part of the game. Yeah. And it, one thing I love about the creator, Tomas, he, someone asked him about buildings because, you know, Mordheim, like you said, has been destroyed by a giant comet. And he said that was actually intentional to have all the buildings destroyed because he hated playing with buildings where he had to take the roofs off. Yes. So he said, this is perfect. I never need to take a roof off. All the buildings are destroyed. I could just reach in and put a guy in there, which I love. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so cool. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the table density is a really big deal. It's a labor I love to put a Mordheim table together. Um, They look amazing. Mm -hmm. They look super amazing. I mean, compared to 
you for Hammer Fantasy Table, you can get away with a hill, a forest, and a pond. But mm -hmm. in Mordheim, you're talking like eight to ten buildings, you know, different levels of uh, of city streets. Like you said, ladders. It really is super integral to the game. Like blocking line of sight is a really big one to make mm -hmm. sure shooting isn't super powerful. Otherwise, it kind of just turns into Necromunda a little bit. Um, but, you know, not to like jump ahead into other supplements, but, you know, there's things, there's Mordheim campaigns set in Kemri uh, and Araby in Sartosa where there's pirates. So I've seen everything. Like I've seen thing, people having desert campaigns. I've seen them, you know, ship to ship boarding action combat, Lustria, which is in the jungle. Um, they even came out with an official expansion that's Empire and Flames, which is in the Empire countryside. So it's all fields and woods and hamlets and stuff like that. Um, so you could get away with whatever you have lying around, really. But a lot of people really like that gothic, destroyed, dead bodies lying in the street, blah, 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 yeah. that look. So I guess having, from memory, I mean, obviously, the getting the Warpstone shards is the currency of the game um, or is one of the big points of the game. If you shift to all of those different settings, how does that change the objectives for the game? Or are you just doing using something else? Usually the supplements will have scenarios that are different other than just grabbing um, Wordstone shards. But... Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they just rename it to treasure. For so, if you're in if you're in Kemri, you're just looking for buried treasure. <laughs> you're not looking for weird stuff. Um, yeah, right. It, it still works, you know. Yeah. So another thing that's super interesting that again, Tomas has said about the the creation of the game. It was the only specialist game at the time, and probably ever in the Games Workshop design cycle, where they gave the artists and the design team pretty much free reign over everything. There wasn't any higher up kind of like push down, like, hey, the game needs to look a certain way. You can do this. You can't do this. John Blanche was the design director for the game, and they just said, do whatever you want, basically. And he gave them, or Games Workshop gave them a team of designers. They gave them a team of artists. And they just went kind of hog wild. So going back to what you said earlier, Mordheim is such a tightly sealed package of artwork and miniatures and again, like they just gave free reign to these designers to do whatever they wanted. Like they seriously set them loose. And I think that's so cool, you know, and you can really see the passion behind all of it. Like the Mordheim rule book is a work of art. It's just amazing. All the artwork in there, it was hand laid out by John Blanche, I believe. It wasn't done in a computer, I don't think. I think he literally laid out all the components and then they did some sort of like screen copy. Um, so it's kind of perfectly imperfect, so to speak. It's, there's mm -hmm. places where it's a little bit off, but it just looks like a piece of art. It looks like you're opening a tome. Um, I just think that's great. You know, I don't think Games Workshop today would really do that. I could be wrong. They don't really release that much about their design process. Um, but it was kind of a diamond in the rough, so to speak. It it was an interesting experiment game-wise for Games Workshop, and it was very different in a lot of ways. Um, I mentioned that I have a, a weird experience with this game in, in my playing of it, 
uh, and I and I wasn't alone. There was a whole group of people who had the same experience in that I was hired around the same time as Battlefleet Gothic going out or coming out, and there was and it was a feeling within leadership uh, at the at Games Workshop US anyway at the time that the salesmen weren't playing enough of the game to know about the game to be able to sell the game properly, and it was thought that if you are better trained or better, more enthusiastic about the game, if you got the nerds excited, they'll sell the game better, which is proven to work. And it wasn't that Battlefield Gothic did poorly, but they thought it could have gone better. So with Mordheim, they wanted to make sure it went well. And so uh, Mr. Piernan came over for, I think, Games Day. But as part of his trip, the idea was to fire up the staff for the eventual release of Mornheim. So all of the trade salesmen were pulled off of the phone. We turned our phones off for a day and we had uh, Mr. Piernan come in and teach us how to play Mornheim. He told us about you know the game. He gave us a spiel about the setting. He uh, talked a little bit about the design process. God, I wish I could remember more about that day other than it was so good. I was so excited. And we were given access. He brought a box of the sprues over. And so we were given access to the miniatures and access to the studio's terrain, which wasn't the Mordheim terrain. It was just the studio's fantasy terrain. And then we built up additional stuff on top of that. And so there was this league. And I think the retail guys had something similar the next day or the day before. But we had a league running within the office with the promotions guys and the sales guys and a couple other people from accounting up from memory where we would play at lunchtime and we would play after work and occasionally on the weekends. And we played a lot. And I, I want to say it was like four to six months. It could have been shorter than that. But because... He had come over for games day. It was sig- or whatever he had come over for. It was significantly before the release of the game. So we got it way early and we played it into the ground. Jason Biaki was one of the big guys were building terrain at, in the studio at that point. Um, and he uh, kind of went big with it as far as making sure the terrain was on point and making sure that we had and, and running the campaign. I, I played it to death. And so the, the weirdly the opposite happened because by the time release happened, we had overplayed the game and we were ready to play something else. And so we were like, yeah, more time. It's great. We actually played a crud load of this game. Um, I highly recommend it. And then people would ask, well, what are you, what are you playing in the game? And I was like, well, I'm painting uh, more uh, Morty and iron guard for uh, Imperial guard at the moment. Uh, because I'd played it to death. I had run through two full campaigns at that point with my dwarves and with my ninja Skaven. That w- I had never heard of that happening before. And that, it, to my knowledge, has not really happened since. That they had flown the creator of the game over to, you know, to rev up the staff. And it did have this really impressive look. Um, as you said, I mean, it's very distinctive. And when you combine you know, the, the author speaking to you passionately, personally, right in your face with this amazing product, with these really amazing plastics that came out with the game, 
it was a heady mix of uh, intoxication that led to uh, some pretty strong feelings on staff in very positive ways. So it, it's very easy to see why you are so excited about this. Yeah, it was a world of firsts too. They're like, why don't we just send this over to the sales team and see what they think? That's so yeah, great. right? I'm sure there's a picture of you guys in White Dwarf somewhere. Oh, there is. There was a whole write-up of the league uh, somewhere in White Dwarf. And at that point, I had been eliminated. Uh, so I was <laughs> not. It was the write-up had the, because it culminated in a final battle with the top warbands to see who would come out on top. And it was this big cityscape and everyone came in from different corners and it was this big brawl. I had been eliminated by at that point. So I was not part of that game. So my photo is not in White Dwarf, but it was a lot of fun. I was there for part of that game in the background watching. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I did have to go back to work. Because <laughs> it was, they, they took, I believe that was, that game was played on a work day. So I think I went in and had lunch and watched the game and then went back on the phones. I mean, so, you guys are technically working if you're, you know, you're gaining knowledge of the product. Look, I, I could have said that about a million times in my time at Games Workshop, <laughs> but I think I was off the phones playing games maybe three times over three years. Everything else was after hours because uh, making that all that all important dollar was yeah. uh, dollar dollar bills, y'all, um, yeah, yeah. was the important thing at that point. I guess that art also ties into, and I mentioned the distinct look of the miniatures. It's really fascinating to see how that has evolved over time. As you say, content creators have come in and created these wonderful expansions, have come up with war bands, bringing every element of the Warhammer fantasy world into Mordheim, either literally itself or making the setting work, the game system work in other settings. But they're not alone. There are miniature designers, both digital and the old, you know, physical miniature designers that have come up with amazing models that fit this world slash universe. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because you were definitely more knowledgeable than I am. Yeah. And actually, you know, you were talking about that plastic kit that they brought to you guys. I think it was called the Empire Free Company. It and became that, but it was the Mordheim sprue first. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That kit now on eBay fetches pretty, uh, pretty penny because yeah. I mean that that was the quintessential Mordheim kit. But um, you know, it's interesting. Mordheim now it's it's almost more or less kind of broken free from from the Warhammer world. I see mm -hmm. so many people not even really abiding to the the Warhammer lore in it now. They just look mm -hmm. at it like. Destroyed Fantasy City, I'm in there, I'm getting treasure, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, especially in the recent years with 3D printing and stuff like that, there has been a ton, ton of uh, digital artists putting out stuff, you know, in the Warhammer Fantasy slash Mordheim-esque feel. Um, there's actually a giant list of third-party manufacturers on Broheim that I've, I've put together for people. Um, but God, the, the list is extensive really anything that you can find that's 28 millimeter in fantasy you can make work in more time yeah you know just put some dark wash on it make it look grimy and you're good to go and, you know there's so many war bands nowadays too like again you know there's like a brotherhood of assassins or whatever and i mm -hmm. i'm 99 sure that doesn't exist in warhammer fantasy to, to some extent someone just made it up but you can you could play it you could go to reaper 
pick out eight assassin looking dudes and put that warband together and you can play it. Well, there's also people who have taken the original ideas and kind of run with them in weird ways. Uh, a good friend of ours, Mouse, um, from the Thoughtless Casual podcast, has recently, or at least earlier this year, painted up a new warband from Mordheim that is the classic witch hunters and in literally the same poses as the classic witch hunter medals, except they're halflings. And his paint, he is an amazing painter. And to watch his paint jobs on those models is just fantastic. But they look like they walked out of a white dwarf magazine from that era. And just to look at that going, oh, that makes me want to play Mordheim more than anything else in the world. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's even, there's designers now, so the, the rule book, it has tons and tons of wacky art mm -hmm. from Blanche and Wiggly and all those guys. Um, and people are actually making models in the artwork, and it's just really weird fringe stuff, like guys with fish in their mouth and like peg legs and stuff like that. Um, you know, say what you will, it's kind of a gray area where it's like, should we really be making models of other people's work? But again, it just shows the dedication yeah. that this community has where they're just so hungry for it. Yeah. You know? And it's and, a love of the universe and of the game. It's yeah. not that people are trying to fleece other people and get one by on you. It's just that they are so excited. And as you say, those rules have been free online for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to see the miniatures and from the, and that book, because of the way, as you pointed out, John Blanche, laid it out has so much art in the corners of the pages that that is an era of uh book design that i miss and that was the epitome of it yeah definitely so um with this game what are some I've, i know i've talked about character progression i've talked about tactically choosing oh do i play in this one or do i back out and try and go big in the next game what are some of the things, those are some things that I loved about Mordheim. I loved um, sneaking around with my ninjas. I loved stomping up the front with my dwarves. Uh, I loved the, the setting and the terrain. That was my real passion for this. But when you're playing, I mean, obviously you've played it a lot more than I have, especially recently. What, what are some of the elements, both of gameplay and or, you know, maybe some of your favorite warbands that really keeps your juices flowing for this yeah i i touched base on this before a little bit but really just the theme of the game is so so good um it really is such a good construct for creating stories um for people who don't know you know you play your battle um and your battle will last anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour but then you have this really long post-game phase with your opponent um and that's where you're doing the roles for injuries. That's where you're exploring um, the area of where the battle you just had. And you're kind of like finding treasure and then random events will happen to you. Um, and that part in itself is all, it's a completely different game. And it's it's super fun. And that's kind of where all the laughing happens. You know, mm -hmm. I've never really seen anyone get sour over Game of Mordheim because the game itself, the battle is always super funny because it really rewards being aggressive um mm -hmm. and i love that but then post game it's always just so funny just the most random things happen like the, a really simple example 
um, when you're running, when you're rolling for your exploration to see how much weird stone that you find in the, the zone or whatever, um, a really, really common role is you find a well and there's a weird stone on top of it. And you have to send a hero down to get the well, down the well to get oh, the weird I stone. Not about this. Yes. Yeah. It's so funny. And if he does a toughness check and if he fails, he gets sick from the poison well and he misses mm -hmm. the next game. Um, but if he doesn't fail, he finds the weird stone and you're like, yay. But it's just that simple interaction um, that's just like, it, it's just that in droves, basically. Um, so, yeah, that really keeps us going, especially campaign days. The way we like to do it, um, we'll actually get everyone together and we'll get around seven or eight tables and we'll play through a campaign in a day, four to five games, um, kind of like round robin. Everyone will just kind of pick and choose their opponent and kind of play throughout the day. Um, mm -hmm. And those are super fun, but really trying to, um, new campaigns and new locations is always a great time. Trying different war bands, adding in, removing house rules that people have made. There's just so much. It's kind of, you know, it's just like an RPG where yeah. you're like, oh, what adventure are we going to do today? And everyone's playing different stuff. It's a completely different experience every time you play it. And it just never really gets old. Now, from memory, you're playing this on a, God, is it a three by three or is it less? We played on a four by four, yeah. So it, on a four it's, by four. it's set okay. for a four by four, but you could play it on a three by three. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do it because it is, it's already a, you know, it's a small skirmish game. So you could get away with the three by three. But the games, even though they're on a four by four, which is technically a little bit big for a skirmish game these days, mm -hmm. it is uh, a very fast game. You typically, because once you start taking a couple casualties, you know, it's possible you might bottle out or it's possible that you'll give up and run away to, to fight another day. Um, games can go from memory like a half an hour to an hour. Yeah. Um, and then you roll on the results chart and then you're ready to go again. Yep. And yeah, so we, as we you say- yeah, you can play a lot, but it was a great lunchtime game uh, back when we were playing it, which is one of the reasons we played it to death, because we could. And or we could get together because we tended to work late. Um, we tended to start late. So I, there were many times where I would play a game before work, which is the only time I've ever ward gamed before a day of work in my life. But also... You know, you could play a game, even if it's late. It was short, sharp, get the game going. You know, often terrain was left up for us to play on. So we just go in, play, move on. But as you say, with a campaign, you always have people dropping off. But if you have everyone there for a day and everyone's committing to stay for that day, you can get four to five games in, have a good day, have a lot of good progression and really tell the story of these explorations and the people who are doing it in the city and have a really good time doing it. Yeah. Yeah. The day format, I don't think I'm ever going back. We barbecue, we have beers on tap. It's just like, it's amazing. Everyone's yelling, you know, about their heroes getting killed. It's great. Yeah. Drop off in these long campaigns is a hard thing to deal with. Um, yeah. You really do need a pretty dedicated gaming group. I mean, you could play more time over a, a couple games and it still be satisfactory, but it, it definitely shines in the, I'd say the five to eight game mark. Actually, maybe not even that many, like maybe three, seven game mark. 
Well, Tori, I'm sure we could talk about the glory days of Mordheim all day. And in fact, I, it's making me want to play real bad. And then I'm going to want to talk about it more. So maybe we will. Uh, let's, let's jump to other specialist games, though, because you and I are both passionate about or love other specialist games on top of this and beyond Blood Bowl, beyond Necromunda, beyond Mordheim. There are lots of these games that are seeing a renaissance and a resurgence um, in recent years, but have always had a loyal following to boot. Um, what Have you been interacting with any of these other communities as well? Yeah, I think, you know, to touch base on Warmaster again, Warmaster mm. Revolution, um, been more or less pretty involved in that community just because I really love how they do their releases. If for people who are not familiar, um, the Warmaster community put out kind of their own version. I don't want to say own version of Warmaster. Um, it's called Warmaster Revolution. And they redid the rulebook from the ground up with brand new artwork. Um, they did some rules changes. They have like a high council, so to speak, that's kind of voting on rule changes. And they go into this one year review period. It's just really organized and really, really mm -hmm. well done. Um, the fact that they just redid all the artwork in the rule book is just astounding to me. Like, right. It's a super labor of love. Um, so yeah, I've been, those, we've been playing a ton of war master in our club. I'm obsessed with it. The other one though is um, Epic Armageddon or kind mm -hmm. of the Epic community. That's another one that is really, really big that I think goes over a lot of people's heads. Maybe not so much now that um, the new horse heresy one got announced. I already forgot what it's called. Legion something. Imperialis. That one. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the Epic community is going soup been going really, really strong. And the way that community is structured just blows my mind because somehow they stay super organized, but it's actually split up by these massive communities in the UK, France, Australia, and the US. Um, I can go, I can talk about the epic stuff for days because I, I just like I love it. Those all those guys are super super nice. Um, they the big rule set they seem to be playing is Epic Armageddon, which did get released by Games Workshop. I don't know the exact date, but it came out after Space Marine Second Edition, which was epic. I get kind of hazy on all of the editions of Epic because there's so many. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, but it's not Epic 40k, and it's not right. the original Space Marine. Um, which were the two that I played. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's and, the and other one. Uh, the one that came <laughs> with a book, not a box. And right. it was a specialist game. And I believe they also put that one out for free at one point. I think so. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a really nice PDF of it. I think that that must be the Epic Armageddon one. That's the one yeah. we play. And that game is amazing. I think that might be mechanically one of the best games I've ever played. Like Mordheim is really good theming wise. There's some mechanics in Mordheim where are, that get kind of confusing, but Epic Armageddon is really, really good. Um, again, I can talk about it for days because- Is that an Andy well. game? Did Andy Chambers do that? Um, I think he I know, did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, that has almost proto bolt action pin rules in it. It and does. Someone yeah. said that that is where the pinning from bolt action mechanic came from. I don't know if that's oh, true, but I know Alessio was in the studio at that point. 
So uh, it is very possible because Rick and Alessio, of course, came up with the bolt action basic right. rules. It was Alessio's baby, but Rick helped with the original first edition, um, just talking through the mechanics of it. And both of those guys were 100% involved with the, uh, or at least with the studio while Epic 40K, sorry, when uh, Epic Armageddon was doing its thing. Um, although I think Robin may have been in charge of specialist games at that point. Anyway, um, yeah. So where would people find those communities now? And are they connected or is it sort of each country has its own little island that they dwell on? So they all use the Epic Armageddon rulebook, the one that Games Workshop released. So they're mm -hmm. all using the same rulebook, but all of the army lists, depending depending on like which region you go on, are different. So the, for example, like the Raven Guard army list in the US is slightly different than the one in the UK. Um, what's interesting though, is if you're familiar with Battlescribe, they're all mm -hmm. on Battlescribe together. And when you put in, hey, I'm, I wanna play Raven Guard, you can choose which community list you're using. So you're like, okay, okay I'm gonna, I wanna use the UK one, or you wanna use the um, US one, the French one. Um, so they do kind of support each other in that aspect. And the unit stats are more or less the same. So you can actually play UK lists versus US lists pretty well. Um, it's just so cool to me that they all kind of decided, I don't know if this is exactly what happened, but they're all like, we're going to use the same rule book, but we have different needs for our communities. So that's where we're going to decide what how these army lists work. That's so cool. I love That's it. Really cool. Um, and it it's oftentimes gamers have reputations for being not very nice to one another online. Uh, I mean, it's it's a thing. Uh, particularly with Games Workshop games, there's a fair bit of a reputation of you know people being horrible to each other on the internet. Um, but it's wonderful to see these communities move forward so positively and to disprove that stereotype in such an epic pun intended for um you know way and it shows the love of these games and it's not about you know wanting to be the most competitive or it could be depending on you know how people are playing but also to make sure that the the games thrive and continue to be played because it's very easy for some of these games with all the shiny new things coming out all the time from all the companies to all of a sudden go, yeah, I'll, I'll play this thing that is going to have new product. It's an, it's an interesting phenomenon, especially given that playing some of these games, if you want to use the original models, can be an incredibly pricey endeavor. I'm sure you've seen in the, the Warmaster community, like the 3D printing realm is just blown mm -hmm. up. I think 80% or more Warmaster players now are using 3D printed stuff. And it looks so good. Mm -hmm. So cheap. It's mm -hmm. made that game so accessible. Yeah, it's the same thing for Epic too. I mean, there's so many, so many creators that are just creating stuff left and right. You know, again, probably another polarizing topic. Like, should, should they be creating quote unquote space warriors? You know, but... Again, these rules have been put out, right? And, right. you know, it's just to to play these games. Um, I just bought, I mean, Forest Dragon is my favorite 
3D print studio for Warmaster. Their stuff yeah. is so good. And there's lots of other amazing people as well. But I fell in love with the Forest Dragon undead models. And I was given a bunch by our friend Nick Beatty. And wow, to look yeah. at those models, I'm intimidated. Because uh, <laughs> again, it's, it's Warmaster scale. So it's incredibly small. And it has, you know, in some cases, almost as much detail as the original models yeah. that they're kind of look like. And in some cases, the characters almost are the same. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at this tiny, tiny Van Karstein vampire going, oh, my God, I remember hating painting the armor of this in 28 millimeter. <laughs> now I'm painting it in what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ten painting ten mil is such a trip though. It's good to go between scales, you know. Like mm, when, when I get bored of twenty eight, like you know, some ten mil, some six mil sounds pretty good right now. I was cleaning off supports and um, you know just getting things ready to spray paint, and went. This may not be what my eyes can handle right now. I may have to wait till the next school holiday, and I may have gone the other direction to twenty eight mil, and then even larger with MCP scale. It was at 35, 40 mil, um, just to be like, okay, I can see this, uh, even with magnifying glasses. But I guess that's why uh, the good Lord created contrast paints, right? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for for banging out massive Warmaster armies. Yeah. So, what do you with Epic? Who are some of the big uh, producers, or who are the things that the models that you're using? or you're seeing people use, what are some of the ones that are jumping out at you? There's, you know, there's a huge website called cults 3d and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the, the makers are on. Okay. Um, really, you could just go there any day of the week, just type in. I mean, if you're looking for Eldar, you're probably gonna have to look for space cells cause you know, they're, yeah. they're dodging the copyright stuff, but um, there's, you could find pretty much anything on there. I mean, the, the important thing is, uh, especially the Epic community is really big on Discord. And actually, they have a really good Facebook group also. Um, but really, if you're looking for any sort of proxy there, like, hey, I need a proxy for uh, Lehman Russ, you're going to get 10 different guys. You're like, oh, I made one last year. And yeah. they're going to give you cults. Um, and there's actually a bunch of metal people who make stuff in metal too. One, There's one that comes to mind called um, Trolls Under the Bridge. And they mm-hmm. make a lot of really good proxy. Vanguard Miniatures makes a ton of good epic proxies that just look incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, so that there's a ton of options there, probably just as many or, or if not more than Warmaster. And of course, we're talking about the new Horse Heresy version about to drop from Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. And uh, while those might be a little bit more expensive, uh, the quality of you know, Games Workshop is legendary and the pictures of those models look impressive. They do. They look really good. Um, And I've been wanting to play, you know, I know I'm using the name of the game in the adjective here, but I want been wanting to play some epic massive games of Horus Heresy because I've been rereading the novels and that is literally a game that was designed for this. I mean, Space Marine, the original game, introduced the concept of the Horus Heresy. Yes, it was a sidebar in a, in a little paragraph in a book somewhere before that. 
but yes, Space Marine was a game that I had and played a lot of as a kid. And it was the first real, real dig into the Horus Heresy. So to see it come full circle and to see that game come back out for me is makes me really excited uh, to play it because I was like, yeah, 40 K Epic. Okay. I could just play 40 K or play larger scale, but to have those big battles of uh horse heresy just really gets my juices flowing. My wallet is going to hurt. I think we'll to figure <laughs> out how that works when we get yeah. there. I'm holding my breath just to, I'm expecting the army boxes to be a, a pretty penny as well. Oh, Hopefully God. they're not, but yeah, yeah. Oh, it's tempting though. It's very tempting, and it's not so much the Titans as it is a wall of Land Raiders and uh, Space Marines. And it's funny how you know that came to be because they were talking about making. I mean, Rick talked about this when he was on the show way back when, um, one of the times, and he mentioned that they were, the whole reason that that Horus Heresy was the whole point of the box and really blew up into what we now know as the Horus Heresy was because they didn't have the money to tool two armies Mm -hmm. of models. They could only do one. And by doing Space Marines, they went, well, how can we have Space Marines fighting Space Marines? Ta-da! (laughs) <laughs> Let's create a civil war. And that is how, you know, what we have now with 40 plus novels uh, and, right. you know, not even getting into the games that go along with them was only because they didn't have the money to make a second army. Yeah. Happy accidents. It's funny you say um, like you would want to pay paint 40k and 28 because i'm actually the opposite because i have a a massive steel legion army um for 40k from third edition Mm -hmm. and you know i have like 30 tanks some some super heavies bane blade shadow sword or whatever and when i put them on the table they take up like an eighth of the table (laughs) like i feel bad taking all this stuff where an epic I can bring entire companies of Lehman Russes and they're just these little cute tanks sitting on the table. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I want. I want to be a tank commander. I have like four companies of Lehman Russes. Yeah. It just, I feel you. I feel you. So yeah. Maybe because of the way I play guard though, it's just a wall of dudes. <laughs> That's but why I you're like doing Mordians. Just around. a literal oh, yeah. wall. <laughs> Yeah, uh, standing in, uh, what is it, firing lines, doing that. That was one way I've played guard for sure. But uh, yeah, it's it's real tempting once, you know, you dip your toe in that nostalgia of, oh, I can just recreate this old Mordian army. Ooh, all I need is a couple of more tanks to go with that. Ooh, because I ran an air cav army for a long time. I mean, like, oh, yeah, I could, I could get 11 vendettas or uh sorry not vendettas uh valkyries uh no no i can't they're like a thousand that would be over a thousand dollars and yeah um, i i i distinctly to this day though i have rose colored glasses about a lot of the painting projects that i painted over the years for 40k the school holidays that i spent building and painting um something like nine valkyries is still a nightmare i never want to repeat so yeah 
were those pre airbrush days? Oh, I still don't airbrush. <laughs> oh yeah. Once I discovered, like I was not on the airbrush train for a long time. And then I, I painted a few tanks in the airbrush. My life changed. Like you can yeah. just get them done so much faster than a brush. I'm old man. I'm old and stubborn. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Other games besides Epic, uh, is I'm just blown away by these communities. Folks, if you are interested in any of the games we're talking about today, if you go to Facebook and you type in the name of these games, you will find all kinds of groups. Uh, some of them will be regional to the part of the world that you are in or that you are near to. Uh, and others will be modeling pages or converting pages or 3D print pages. Others will be just pages detailing the game itself. Um, there's just so many communities and groups of people that you can connect with. It, it may be one or two groups for your game. But if you look at specialist games as a collective, there's a hell of a lot. And that's not even getting into the realm of Discord or online forums or – am I saying this right, Tori? Is there anything you would add to that? No. I mean they really, really are going through a renaissance right now. You, I would not be surprised wherever you are in the world, there is at least one other guy <laughs> in your area – that is playing a specialist game. I guarantee it, especially Mordheim. You know, Mordheim is, if you take a look at YouTube, Mordheim content, good Lord. We're talking millions of views for Mordheim content. Um, yeah, it's wild, right? And yeah. I recently tripped and fell into a War Master community, which is why I got an army. But I was like, how many people are playing? Crazy. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and with the new 30K Epic, I feel like mm. 40K Epic is going to be as big as, as big as ever now. Um, but yeah, it's never too late to jump in. These are really, really good games. There's a reason why people are, are playing them 25 years later. You know, they've done great work to keep them alive. So get involved. It's a good bunch. Yeah, man, definitely. Now, Tori, please, speaking of which, Plug the site because let's make sure that we hit all the uh, social media here. Awesome. Yeah. So the site is broheim.net, B R O H E I M, kind of like Mordheim, but with a bro in it. Um, <laughs> Brad asked me earlier how I came up with that name. And I think it was just the zeitgeist at the time. I must have just been saying Broheim a lot. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe that's just what the site will be called. Um, so yeah, broheim.net. It's got all the Mordheim rules. It has a ton, ton of material on there. I also have a really short two-minute YouTube video. Just type in how to start Mordheim, and you'll see my face on there. And it gives you a quick two-minute rundown of what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, I would strongly, strongly suggest joining a community. There's a Mordheim community on Reddit. There's one on Facebook. There's one on Discord. Um, and those guys can really help you get started. But honestly, if you're even near a Games Workshop store, they've probably run a Mordheim campaign in the past year. I hear about it happening all the time in, in Games Workshop stores nowadays. So, but yeah, feel free to check it out. Put a lot of work into it. Feel free to shoot me an email if you have any questions. It's on the website. And if you're not interested in, in 3D printed models and you're not interested in third party models and you want to stay official with Games Workshop, and I've had a few message people message me recently saying this, 
and you want to play this game, it was released for free by Games Workshop. It What is up on Broheim is the, the PDF the Games Workshop put out. It is the official rules. And if you want official models, I cannot uh, go past the new Empire models that are coming out for Age of Sigmar. They absolutely have an old world feel to some of them. And some of them lean very heavily into the John Blanche, uh, Mordheim aesthetic. So you can walk into a Games Workshop store this second and pick up some of those models and be well on your way to having a really cool-looking Mordheim warband that would fit in any Mordheim campaign in the world. Agreed. Tori, thank you so much for coming on today, man. I know uh, you're a new father and you're super busy, but having you on today to talk shop has been amazing. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's awesome to be on a on a podcast that hosted some of the greats, so I am definitely honored. Present company included, brother. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. It is always a pleasure to have uh, you guys tuning in. I'm always blown away when I look at listener numbers. Um, this has been a requested episode uh, from a number of people. People have been wanting me to talk about specialist games some more. Um, and I've had a few people wanting me to talk about Mordheim. I wasn't able to play before this particular episode because uh, kitchen renovations has made my life misery. Um, however, Talking to Tori and doing research for this episode has made me desperately want to play. So, Nick, yes, I think I'm going to try and come play at your event day, you jerk. Um, but, yes, if you have any requests, please go to Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E on Facebook. Uh, if you message their page, you're guaranteed a response by me. My name is Brad. Hi. Um, and I love hearing from you. I think that takes us back to what our buddy Casey always says, though, that when we are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.
are gone. And that track. 